0: Well, in just a moment, I want to read from uh, a very precious and powerful passage of Scripture about spiritual rest, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Before that, I want to pray, and before I pray, I want to share with you uh, some thoughts that uh, relate to the prayer. Uh, The first is that yesterday was an anniversary, uh, our church's 180th birthday. Our church was founded... Uh, July the 8th, 1837, and before some smart aleck says something, I was not the founding pastor, uh, and uh, we have been blessed in many, many ways, and I think sometimes we need to just pause and uh, thank God for all the blessings and for the ways that he continues to use this church in a powerful way. I've already mentioned to the team of 72 going on the uh, youth mission trip to Knoxville. want to remember them in prayer. Uh, the, the Kenya team is back. Uh, but also remember that we have uh, some church members and and some friends flying back from Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, Jim Hill, Brian Kaler, uh, many others from this region uh, attended the Baptist World Alliance annual meeting, uh, and they're 12 hours ahead, so many of them will probably have concluded the uh, final worship service at BWA on Sunday morning there and are probably on airplanes uh, coming home, so remember them in prayer. And then uh, just a, a, a prayer note that came across my desk this week uh, that I wanted to call your attention to. You know, we've celebrated our nation's freedom and our independence uh, in wonderful ways this week. Uh, we're also realizing that we're stewards of that uh, to long for freedom for all peoples of the earth. Um, and we realize, too, that we are global Christians. We are inter- international Christians not just American Christians. Nigeria has been uh, just absolutely pummeled by the terrorist group Boko Haram. And you've read about it, heard about it. And I read a statistic this week that the Boko Haram have displaced 2.6 million people in the country of Nigeria. 2.6 million. And many thousands have been murdered, whether they're Christian, Jew, Muslim no religion, and uh, that's just one troubled spot in our world. Of course, not the one that gets most of the international attention, but I think sometimes it's good for us to just bear down on one people, one nation, and think about the suffering and the struggle. So would you pray with me as we bow together? Mighty and loving God, we bless you and thank you for this privilege of worship We thank you for forgiveness of sins and we pray that today our confession and our acknowledgement of failure in your presence might be fresh and up to date as we experience the cleansing of Jesus Christ in our lives. We pause to thank you for this great church, for 180 years of the past and for a great, great future as we set sail, as we continue to listen to your voice and launch courageously into our future. We thank you, God, that you're a God who cares for the broken and the needy, the sin-blind, the lost, the stranger, the lonely. Today we pray a special blessing on homeless and displaced peoples, particularly in Nigeria but everywhere in the world. We pray for the persecuted, for those who do not enjoy religious liberty. We pray for prisoners everywhere, here in our states and all around the world. We pray for those today are in this worship service carrying heavy private burdens. We pray today for the ones traveling back from Baptist World Alliance, for our youth mission team. We pray, dear God, for our partners in South Dakota, in Kenya, in Ukraine. We pray, dear God, today for our military personnel, women and men in the armed forces here and around the world, for those who keep peace, for those who are... uh, law enforcement in our own country. We ask, dear God, that you bless us with open spirits as we hear a fresh word about the rest and the challenge that Jesus offers us. We pray that you will open our hearts to hear a new thing, to be reminded of an old truth, that together we might worship you. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, Amen. If you are able, I invite you to stand uh, together as I read aloud from God's Word, Matthew's Gospel, chapter eleven, verses twenty-five through thirty. At that time, Jesus said, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father." And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, you know, some Bible passages are just beautiful and they become known apart from their context. When Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. What a beautiful promise. But sometimes when we hear beautiful passages and we hear them out of context, we hear them and we love them, but we don't ever study them. We don't ever explore their biblical context. For example, uh, the rest that Jesus is offering here can mean many things. I myself have preached and taught that uh, this could apply to Sabbath rest, to our need for physical rest to our need for mental and emotional breaks. Uh, I was visiting with a a young parent uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a parent of of three children all under the age of 10. And I said, do you ever get tired? And he said, that's not the question. The question is, am I ever not tired? And uh, those of you with children or grandchildren can relate to that. And there are lots of things in life that make us tired. Uh, I have even used this scripture in funerals to talk about that eternal rest that has offered us in the resurrection life when we cease from all of our labors, and there is finally that time when we enter into that beautiful rest that is promised in scripture but there 's a context to the rest that Jesus offers that I wanna, that I want to bring us along together to explore, and it 's the context of a weariness that comes. Uh, a tiredness that comes from reducing religion to a list of ought-tos and duties and tasks. You see, the context is that right after this invitation to rest, Jesus begins to have encounters. Matthew strategically places right after this two stories of Jesus tangling with religious leaders who were more interested in rules than relationships. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, Jesus tangles with religious leaders. They're criticizing him for feeding his disciples when they're hungry because he broke a a Sabbath rule about harvesting on the Sabbath simply by picking grain. Rules were more important uh, than people and more important than God. And then verses 9 through 14, he has another tangle with uh, some religious critics who criticizing for healing a man on the Sabbath, for doing good on the Sabbath. Again, rules, regulations, legalism, a checklist, a to-do list, a don't list. And so you begin to feel that the context of what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about rest was this rest from legalism, from a fundamentalism that is always looking over its shoulder, afraid God is going to zap us, for for making a little mistake. Add to that that the Jewish rabbis in Jesus' day called the law a yoke. They talked about taking on the yoke, the, the wooden instrument for the beast of burden, the yoke of the law. You see where this is going in Jesus' teaching? And when a Jewish boy was bar mitzvahed, When at 12, he moved into adulthood and took on covenant responsibilities, he was said to have been entering into Bar Mitzvah, son of the law, taking on the yoke of the law. By the time Jesus was on earth doing his ministry, the Jewish people had expanded the original Ten Commandments given in Exodus, many hundreds of years before, and they had finalized the list, just a brief list of do's and don'ts, 613. 613 rules that people were supposed to keep. Now here's the real catch. 365 of them were negative, shall nots. And I'm not very good at math, so I had to write this down. The remaining 248 were positive. More negative, and positive. How wearying, how tiring is it, it, it? Could it be, when we live with a religion that we have to carry, rather than a faith that carries us? All these do's and don'ts, all these checklists, all this, all this life-sucking legalism that takes all the joy out of a personal relationship with God. Well, we don't have any legalism in our 21st century, do we? We don't have any do's and don'ts that are not in the Bible, but we could surely find them somewhere. I heard about a church. I was visiting uh, a couple of years ago in another state, and the pastor, he swore to this. He said, the deacon stood at the door... Everybody thought he was welcoming them, but he was checking to see that people were bringing into the church the appropriate translation of Scripture, the correct version of the Bible. He was standing at the door policing. Uh, One author and and researcher has has, uh, tried to catalog the list of social sins among evangelicals in the 20th century and into the 21st century. Not all of these apply to you, but uh, legalism is an equal opportunity offender. So uh, here's a list that one scholar came up with, social sins of evangelicals in the 20th and 21st century. Tobacco, liquor, Coca-Cola, movies, medicine, life insurance, public swimming, called mixed bathing, go figure, professional sports, wearing jewelry, and wearing makeup. That's just a partial list. I have a pastor friend who says that when you check out a church's rules, the rules always tell you more about the people than they tell you about their God. And legalism, fundamentalism of any sort that reduces God to a checklist of do's and don'ts, has a way of just squeezing all the life and joy out of any kind of relationship with God. So how did Jesus respond to this continual barrage of attack from legalists who always wanted to focus on rules and to-do lists? Well, he did, I see, two things in this passage of Scripture. First of all, he invites us to trust He invites us to a trust relationship. He says in verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, revealed them to infants. Here's a newsflash in case you haven't discovered it, in case you're a new Christian or you're someone who's a seeker and not come into faith. The Christian faith is not about achieving, it's about receiving. All week long, we're taught to achieve. I've got to climb that ladder. I've got to get that report in. I've got to do a good job for the boss. I've got to carry out these plans. I've got to discipline myself. And all that's good. But then we come to our faith and we think that somehow we can impress God or get saved or get forgiven or have a clean heart by achieving. But it's not achieving. It's receiving what God in Christ has done for us. And Jesus said, this is so simple Children get it and smart people don't. Infants understand this, Jesus said, because they can just simply receive. They don't have to do it all themselves, but adults have to figure it out and stay in control. And as we learn to trust, Jesus says we can have the same kind of relationship with the Father that He has. That's important. In verse 27, he says, All things have been handed over to me, Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. No one th- knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom he chooses to reveal. See, he's saying, you can have the same relationship with me that I have with the Father. And you know what the kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father? It wasn't a checklist like, oh, oh I'm, I'm so afraid, Father, I've I, I got to go through these things. It was a relationship of love. And that kind of relationship of trust and love is freeing. It's restful. It's deep. It's satisfying. It it gives us rest to our spirits. And if you can begin to live in relationship instead of rules, you begin to understand the connection between relationship and rules. You begin to understand the relationship between grace and commandments, because there is a relationship between God's grace and what He expects of us. Let me give you an example. A friend told me one time that every morning when he drove to work, he resented having to slow down to 15 miles an hour as he drove through a school zone, the yellow light flashing, often a police was nearby, A policeman was nearby, and he said, I was always in a hurry, I was always running late, and I just barely stayed under the 15, or I went just a little bit over to just be defiant, and I I just resented that. And he said, then one day, a switch was flipped in my heart, and I gladly obeyed the rule. In fact, when I slowed down, I slowed down and enjoyed it. And you know what changed? His little girl started going to that school. And it changed from an external ought to to an internal love motivation. We will never be right with God or happy in our faith by simply responding to external stimuli. We will only be happy and restful in our faith when we are responding to the internal motivation of love, when we see what God has done for us in Christ, how much God loves us, and what a difference he makes. And so let me ask you a question. Do you think you were created for rules, or were you created for relationships? You see? He calls us to Trust. The second thing Jesus does in this response to this oppressive, suffocating legalism is he not only invites us to trust, he invites us to take his yoke. And it is a yoke of a relationship with him, not a yoke of burdensome laws. First of all, note the audacity of Jesus. How audacious! He didn't say to tired, weary souls, go to the Father. He said, come to me. That's audacious. No wonder he got in trouble with religious leaders. Not go to the Father, come to me and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, just a word about the yoke. Jesus' Father was a carpenter. How many times, as Jesus was growing up, do you suppose he helped Joseph planing and and carving and shaping out yokes for farmers for their beasts of burden? And I have a pretty good idea that they did not assembly line them, make 10 or 20 yokes ahead of time, and then say to the farmer, Find one that works. The yokes were handmade, not mass produced, because the yoke was made to fit the neck of the ox or the animal. They brought the animal in and they shaped the yoke to fit the animal. There is a yoke for each of us, uniquely fitting our needs, our calling in life, our challenges, and our limitations. And Jesus said, take my yoke, it's, it's easy, and the burden is light. By easy, it translates into suitable, appropriate, it fits well, it's easy to wear, it does not chafe the neck. He says, it's easy, and my burden is light. That is, it's not burdensome. Because, you know, when the two animals get hitched right... The law of physics says that it reduces the load if they stay in step. And that's the other thing that's beautiful about this image of the yoke. It's not just any yoke. It's Jesus' yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And someone has done this piece of art taking a cross and turning it into a double yoke. Because Jesus says, yes, I make demands of your life, but they're demands of grace and love. Yes, there are expectations in in following Jesus. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not a free ticket, but the difference is we are yoked with Jesus. He is our strength. And when we stay beside Him step for step, the load is reduced. There is joy. Because we are focused on a relationship, not a set of rules. And Jesus will never ask us to do what he's never done for himself. He carried his cross. He would never ask us to do what he's not willing to do himself. That refreshment, that rest, that joy comes from being yoked with Jesus. I've come to the conclusion that there are two kinds of tired in the Christian journey. The first kind of tired is a tiredness that we get from religious busyness. We burn out because we've reduced the Christian life to a set of church duties. It's a tiredness that comes from rule-keeping. It's a tiredness that comes from a transactional relationship. A transactional relationship is one that says, if I do this for you, then God, will you protect me? Uh, God, if I don't do this that's wrong, will you reward me? That's a transactional relationship. It makes us so tired because we're always having to keep score, and there are always burdens to bear, and there's always guilt. The tiredness that I'm talking about is a tiredness that comes from religious busyness, rule-keeping transactions, and it leads to boredom, and it leads to resentment. And it leads to burnout and emptiness. And it makes us just plain tired, spiritually weary. But there's a second kind of tired in the Christian journey it's the tired you get when you're tired physically, but you're so in the zone. It's the tiredness that you have on a Sunday evening after our mission JC. You know, you're physically tired, but you're pumped. It's the tiredness after vacation Bible camp. Well, a little bit like vacation Bible camp. It'll wear you out in every way. But you feel so good about what you did. It's a tiredness you have when you come back from Kenya or Ukraine or South Dakota or youth mission trip. Or it's a tiredness that you have from... Helping somebody in the middle of the night in the name of Jesus, and nobody else knows about it because nobody else needs to know about it. You just know that you've been a servant and you're so sleepy, but you're so refreshed because you're yoked. There is a tiredness that comes from being in step with Jesus, being yoked with Jesus, that's refreshing. It's deep. A relationship with Him that's deep and satisfying. A relationship with Him that's restful and fulfilling. That somehow meets the deepest needs of our souls. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are carrying heavy burdens. And I'll give you rest.